Welcome to the RM Williams Outback Podcast. I'm Terry Cowley, the Senior Associate Editor of RM Williams Outback Magazine. Thanks to Elders Insurance for sponsoring this podcast. Lana Game Meats has been at the forefront of the wallaby industry, pioneering the meat for human consumption in Tasmania. Riding the difficulties of the early yuck factor at a time when wallaby was seen as good for nothing more than pet meat, the meat producer is now flourishing. Part owners, along with Sally Bruin, John and Katrina Kelly, join me now to talk about how their company is changing the way we think about our beloved macropods. Thank you for joining me, John and Katrina. Great to meet you, Terry. How are you? Very well, thank you. Hi, Terry. Now, John, you've described wallaby as being the meat of choice among discerning Tasmanians for more than 40,000 years, and it's really only been in the last century there's been a hiccup in its marketing campaign. Yeah, that's right, Terry, and I, I actually like to go a little bit further than that. I, I, like, I like to claim that if we, we – unfortunately, we got settled by POMs and somewhere during last century we wound up with a meat-free veg diet. I reckon if the Tasmania had been settled and colonised by the French instead, then wallaby would have been our national dish. You may be right about that, John. Can you share what it was like trying to market wallaby in those early days? It was tough. It was it was really tough. I mean, when when we started, wallaby as a food product didn't exist. the 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 meat we were processing was called roux, and and it was considered good for pet food and and maybe patties. But um, I, I have a fair bit of, of meat science background in my in my in my professional training, and I had a good look at the at the product and decided it was a whole lot better than that, and that. We didn't want to carry all the baggage of what had come along with. So we quite deliberately called it Wallaby instead of Roo. We were the first people to do so and we started marketing it to restaurants and, and, and later on to retail. But in the in the first decade, decade or so, we went to as many food fairs and country shows and that sort of thing as we could selling our products and, and, and giving out taste samples, trying to get it down as many throats as we could. And, and we'd spend... A fair bit of our time back then listening to people say, oh, yuck, you can't eat that. Um, but things have changed now quite dramatically. And thank goodness for that. Just following on from what John said, as they say when you start up a business, make sure you've got a market. Well, it was lucky we were blue-eyed and bushy-tailed because not only did we not have a market, we had a negative market. So we had a, a, a marketing mountain we had to climb over. Um, which did take a long time, but thankfully we uh, we mounted that ma- mountain and we're we're on top of it. Yeah, and and we now have our Wallaby products in over two hundred supermarkets across Tasmania and Victoria, and it's on a hundred restaurant menus a year. and And last year, for example, we went back to Agfest, the premier agricultural uh, trade show in Tasmania. It was the first time we'd been in that sort of environment for many many years, and. And, and and when we spent the three days there virtually in tears all the time listening to people tell us how much they, they love our product and, and what we do and, and are urging us to keep doing it. Happy tears, not sad tears. Good. <laughs> Pleased to hear it. Now, how did you get the idea to do this in the first place? I believe you had a bit of an epiphany, John. Yeah, so both Contrina and I are uh, from agricultural families, well, old agri- old farming stock, if you like. Um, I've, I've worked in the cattle industries through the Northern Territory in Queensland, New South Wales, down to here in Tasmania, where I was. I had a job with the Department of Agriculture as a 
district agricultural advisor in Tasmania's premier fine wool growing region, providing advice to some of the most established farms in the state for a, the a young, ambitious agriculturalist that was pretty much the dream job. But the department at the time was going through a change, a structural change, and, and people like me weren't allowed to get out in the paddocks and do one-on-one, and we we're going to have to do touchy-feely group extension stuff, and that that wasn't me. And I, I at the time, had been working with a, an old farmer, a chap called Nick Lawrence, who, who was a second 40 offender, and he, you know, he went through the Burma Railway in the, in the, in the Second World War, and he was a, a, a lovely old gentleman, and he'd been bemoaning to me about the the trouble he had with wallabies eating all his grass and crops and wondering if they, we couldn't do something with them other than just shooting them. So I had the good luck to, you know, a thing called the Enterprise Workshop, write the business plan for Lena basically as a training exercise and I put up my hand for a redundancy and got out of the department and set up Lena. And Sally was part of that training program as well. They were in the same team. And she joined John in the establishment of Lena. So Lena is a, a Tasmanian Aboriginal word for the wallaby we process. And we're not just about producing meat, we think. We, we also, you know, we, we have a bit of a vision, I guess, that, that we'd like to see, think that we're creating an alternate paradigm for agriculture in this land. One based on the animals which belong here, the animals which are adapted to this land and to which this land is adapted. So our business is all about trying to create the markets to, at some stage, we may not see it in our lifetime, but at some stage maybe create the situation where wallaby are valued as a, as a resource rather than seen as a pest. Looking for Australia's best range of full-size pickup trucks? Then you want a Ram truck. Get into your local Ram dealer for the best selection of powerful, capable and luxurious pickups all under one roof. With Australia's best range of full-size pickup trucks, Ram eats everything else for breakfast. Visit ramtrucks.com.au or see your Ram dealer today and get into a Hemi V8-powered Ram. Enough said. Katrina, your background as an environmentalist has been a very important part of this venture because wallabies do tick a number of boxes environmentally, don't they? They certainly do. Um, they, as John has already said, they are adapted to the environment and the uh, ecosystem, of course, is, 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 is adapted to them. Uh, but they also use very little water. They have soft pads on their feet, which is particularly important in fragile areas, like, for example, riparian areas. Um, but perhaps most importantly for right now, they emit almost no methane, So, which is a pretty extraordinary thing when you look at other proteins uh, in the world, particularly um, the, the major ones of, of beef and lamb. They, those animals do um, produce or do emit quite significant quantities of methane, whereas wallabies don't. And in fact, we've had this analysed recently and Wallaby has approximately 2.4 kilograms of carbon embedded per kilogram of meat compared with beef, which has 30, which is an extraordinary difference. So for people who are looking for um, environmentally responsible meat proteins, Wallaby offers a very important um, alternative. It goes broader than just red meat proteins. 
Yeah, so if, if you actually look at the embedded carbon per kilogram of protein, wallaby is which, – which has a double whammy in Tasmania because there's a, wallabies not only don't emit methane but all Tasmanian electricity is renewably generated. So by the, the, the study that Treen referred to, if you break it down to carbon per kilogram of protein, wallaby is perhaps the least – has the least embedded carbon of any protein available in the world. Better than wheat, better than tofu, better than soybeans, all of those things. comes in at about 10 kilograms of carbon per kilogram of protein. And that's extraordinary. You know, it means wallaby is perhaps the most, most greenhouse-friendly protein available in the world. What you're saying might be challenging to some farmers, but you're both from farming families yourselves, aren't you? We, we definitely are. I grew up on a mixed farming enterprise in South Australia and my parents were very good operators. The animal ethics side of what we do was, is a very strong motivator for our business. The animals are in their natural environment, they're doing their thing and then it's all over Red Rover. There's a bright light and it's all over Red Rover. The death is in, instantaneous. So from an animal welfare perspective, the wild harvest of meat by professionals uh, is world's best practice and that, that's a very, very important angle for us. Other ethics are important too and if we just come back to that environmental side of it, I think one of the really important things about wild harvesting of Indigenous species like wallabies and possums is that the animals are harvested from the natural environment which means that you don't have to, you don't have to clear the land, you don't have to fertilise, you don't have to cultivate. There's just so many things that you don't have to do. You know, you can harvest from the natural environment, uh, which from an environmental and you know, input angle is enormous. So um, just changing tack a little bit here, COVID ended up being a very positive thing for your business. How did that happen? Yeah, well, COVID was a rough time for, for everyone in business in, in Australia, I think. Um, so we, we were sitting back and, and looking at where we were going and where the business was going and how it was going how we wanted it to look after COVID and what was coming out of that. And we realised that one big thing that was coming out of COVID was a burgeoning, the blooming of online trading that everyone had been talking about for the last 10 years. COVID really drove that. So one thing in our business that had always disappointed us that we'd never been able to do properly. We can, we, we, we can sell meat. We're really good at selling meat, but we can never generate sustainable markets for our skin product. And we were throwing away most of our wallaby skin. So that really broke our heart because it's a beautiful, beautiful product. We had some years ago started looking at following on from a suggestion from one of our staff members, a chap called Andrew Nutting. We had look at turning our boots into wallaby fur Ugg boots something which in a, in a moment of marketing genius we called WUGS. We'd, we'd had a bit of go at, at them before COVID, but they, had, you know, they, they were only just ticking along and the people who were making them for us had moved their manufacture to China and we wanted it to be an Australian-made product, so we'd had dropped it. But, but we came back to it during COVID and re, revamped it and revitalised that product and, and, and got on into this online marketing game with them. And, and, and that's... That has the, the potential to be transformative for our business to change it all together. If we can sell all of our skins as WUGS, it, we'd, we'd be an entirely different business and it's very, very exciting. So tell me about these WUGS because I believe that wallaby skins are the best UGG boot material on the market with the leather combining a strength and softness found in no other skin. It is true that uh, wallaby leather does lend itself very well to this application. So the, the leather is very light, it's very strong 
the fur, um, because of the nature of the fur, it wicks moisture and dissipates heat all around the all around the shoe. So you don't get a, a concentration of heat on the base of the foot, um, which also means that you don't you tend not to sweat as much in Wugs. And in fact, we we got this uh, verified. We sent um, some Wug boots and to and some and some traditional Ugg boots to RMIT University, and they did some research. Yeah, they, they have a really cute bit of kit called a, a heat mannequin, where they, they strap them up to to our Wugs and to traditional Uggs, and that that measures how the heat moves around inside the foot. That's that confirmed this idea that Uggs trap the heat in the bottom of the foot, and and Wugs like didn't allow the heat to dissipate throughout the foot so prevents sweating something our customers have been telling us for a long time but yeah, we, 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 we like our science at leather well there are other people that use that kind of leather such as formula one drivers and top level soccer players yeah every every formula one bike rider in the world will tell you you know they know they've made it when they get their first kangaroo leather suit Kangaroo and Wallaby is is totally different to every other leather product in the world. Every other leather product, the collagen fibres are arranged randomly and they only touch each other at one or two points. In Kangaroo and Wallaby, the collagen fibres are arranged parallel. So there's much greater frictional contact between the fibres. So you can reduce the, the, the leather to a thinner substance and retain more of the structural strength, original structural strength of it than in any other leather. So Kangaroo soccer boots, for example, known worldwide as the the best boots and most of the goals kicked in world-class soccer are kicked with kangaroo because they say they can feel the ball as they strike it with their boot. And to our nation's great and undying shame, the the field goal which sunk the Wallabies' hope of a third World Cup in Sydney a couple of World Cups ago was kicked with kangaroo leather by a villain called Johnny Wilkinson. Every rugby fan in Australia will cringe at that name. I should probably mention that R.M. Williams boots, I don't know if they're wallaby boots, certainly kangaroo leather, very popular as well. Terry, we we hope that our wugs will someday become as iconic as R.M.'s elastic siders. (laughs) A good one. What is the volume of skins that are being used now? So we're getting up to about 20% of our skins are going to end product. We want, we're pushing that harder all the time and it's growing and we're starting to get a, a lot of traction for those products, in particular to Aboriginal communities across the country who are using them for cultural items. That's that's exciting as well. If we can push this wug things right through to full utilisation, we'll... We'll, as I said before, it'll be transformative for our business and, and we, we might actually become a fashion business. We've added that to our goal list. So we haven't really talked too much about where the wallaby meat is going. You did uh, just touch on it earlier. A lot of top-level restaurants have picked it up. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got several of them in Tasmania and to immediately spring to mind. So in, in Launceston, we're based, where we are based, we have the fantastic still water that wins award after an award. And of course, in Hobart, many people would be aware of Mona, um, a really interesting, architecturally interesting um, in terms of the museum a location in Hobart. And yeah, so, so for example, restaurants at that kind of level have our wallaby, um, but many others as well. And we're, we're, our Wallaby products are in virtually every supermarket across Tasmania and, and Coles and high-end IGAs across Melbourne as well. We, we, we like to refer to Wallaby as a pinot of red meat. And, yeah, tell me what it's like. Uh, I'm a vegetarian, so I haven't eaten it. <laughs> 
Oh, I, I was a vegetarian too when our business first started, Terry, so I can relate to what you're saying, but I'm not, I'm not anymore. Um, so in terms of flavour, it's very mild. People expect it to be strong and gamey, but it's not. Um, it's, it's a very delicate, refined meat um, that, that is quite forgiving, so you can take it beyond medium rare. Because it's not really strong in, in, in flavour, it's a wonderful product to use in, in applications like curries and so on because it takes on the flavours that you put with it very well. It's a great flavour conduit. Can you share with me some of your favourite wallaby recipes? Oh, yeah. So we do eat a lot of wallaby, of course. Uh, Like many people, I'm a busy mother, and so I do cook up enormous pots of uh, meat sauce. So using wallaby mince, it's a fantastic product to cook with. You don't get any any fat on top that you might with other other meats. So it is a really, really nice product to to cook with, and you can always disguise lots of vegetables in a meat sauce. So that's that's a standard weekly items to cook a big batch of that. But also curries. Um... Really lovely in all sorts of curries, um, you know, whether that be Indian or Thai or, or whatever. Um, and there's different products that can that you can use in different applications. So the mints, of course, you can do curries or whatever with with that. But also we um, we sell the shanks, which you can use in a traditional shank recipe. But they're also fantastic in curries for slow cooking. My, my favourite bit, Terry, is is the wing. It's a, it's a, the little vestigial wings that they have on the front. Um, you know, people don't realise that wallaby have vestigial wings. I've so I tell them, of course, I did. They have to get they had to get across Bass Strait somehow. They can't swim, but they're they're a fantastic product. I think they can swim, <laughs> not that far. <laughs> so that that's just this, I guess that fleshy bit from the torso to the, the, the torso to their forelegs. The little forelegs. They're they're, they're incredibly they're really unique texture, really silky meat texture, quite unlike anything else I've ever had. Okay. You mentioned wallaby mint. Might you make a, or perhaps you can market in pre-made spaghetti wallanaise. Love it. <laughs> oh, in fact, that reminds me. There are people that call themselves wallatarians. So the only meat they eat is wallaby. So you're talking about game meat. And of course, this isn't the only game meat that you're looking at. Yeah, no, we, we harvest a range of animals, Terry. Um, and in addition to wallaby, we also do process quite a few possums native animal and, and, and like wallabies we don't view possums as a pest we view them as a, as a sensational resource we can use sustainably but on top of that we process rabbits and hares and and we've recently and rather excitingly added wild deer to our product list. It only, only took me 15 years to get the, um, the approval to process wild deer out of the Tasmanian government, but we got there this year and we, we are now turning out a sensational product from wild harvested Tasmanian fallow venison. The restaurants across Tasmania are queuing up for and, 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 and we also have it in retail as well. And from an environmental perspective, this is this is really significant. Deer population has been growing very rapidly over the last few decades in Tasmania. They are now a significant agricultural pest, but they're also an environmental pest with um, with populations encroaching on world heritage areas. And they're also a road hazard. People have crashed into wild deer and unfortunately lost their life on on the road. So we are very pleased that um, that common sense has prevailed and we're able to harvest them. So venison will be an area of possible expansion for you. 
but I believe WUGS might just be the beginning of your fashion journey and you've got some other ideas in that sector. Um, other ideas also ending in UGS. We, we, we like our science and we like our bright ideas. So down the track, in, in addition to WUGS, we believe in our stable, we'll also have WUGS pugs at Wug, rugs, pugs, and dugs. So wallaby, possum, deer, and roo ug boots. That sounds like a pretty nice little stable, doesn't it, Terry? It's um, it's a great marketing um, ploy, I think. We 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 actually have also added another one to that stable recently. We've done, we've started doing little scuffs, little sort of sandals out of out of our wallabies. So rather than calling calling them scuffs, we called them wuffs. <laughs> He's brilliant, isn't I'm he? I'm sure you can come up with some <laughs> others too. How do you feel about wallabies now? Do you feel that that yuck factor has gone or you've still got quite a bit of work to do? We've still got a bit of work to do. It is pretty rare though when we go to a food event that we hear that, um, but we would be deluding ourselves if it wasn't still in the community. I mean, we, we have changed the attitude and the mindset of Tasmanians to a large extent. You know, we've been in this game 30 years and as Trane said, when we started there, there wasn't a market. There wasn't the product. Well, the product didn't exist, basically. We've, we've worked hard and... And, and persisted over that time, and and Wallaby is now a part, a recognised part of the fine food scene in Tasmania, recognised and respected member of the Tasmanian Fine Food Club, and that's that's something we're very very proud of. Looking to sort of more of a philo- philosophical goal, I guess, you'd like to see um, wallabies being sustainably harvested as part of normal farming operations. Oh gosh, wouldn't we love that? We would. Absolutely love that. So we have a vision of farmers actually having a designated resource, a designated food resource for the for the wallabies and letting their populations increase in those areas and then harvesting the wallabies as an actual enterprise. Um, so at the moment we have har- harvesters who have their own business who go on to farm land, but one day we would love the farmers themselves to actually be the harvester. It's a bit like, I guess, what you see with goats in some areas. Yeah, and 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 Australian farmers are considered the most one of the most innovative group of peoples in the world. If they if they grab that idea and run with it, and the markets are there for them to do so, they can come up with all sorts of of, of new and innovative ways to make that a sustainable and and economically valuable part of their farming enterprise. Uh, we, we, we're, we're not talking about keeping wallabies behind fences and breeding bigger and better wallabies and that sort of stuff. We're just talking about managing a wild population and treating it as a resource and, you know, heaven forbid, but dedicating a food resource to that population, treating it as a resource and harvesting it sustainably and economically. I think it's important for listeners to understand that in Tasmania, Wallabies are—they are super abundant. Like they really are, and they—they're—they're they're a major problem in farming communities. So that they are being—they're being culled now in in, in large numbers. Uh, and and um, what we utilise at the moment is a relatively small percentage of what is currently culled. So we we are trying to value add. Um, a product that has largely been wasted. I think it's important that your listeners understand that. So we, we, we turn a coal into a harvest and do do so sustainably and in doing so generate quite a lot of jobs and economic growth 
options for this state. Yeah, and perhaps we should also add just to reassure your, your listeners that um, the population is monitored um, by the Department of Primary Industry. So, yeah, so the state has a very, very sophisticated monitoring program that's been developed over 50 years to ensure that the population is sustainable. So the government has a handle on what's happening with the population. And as I say, they've been doing that for 50 years. They have a very, very sophisticated method of doing it, a whole lot of data in the background to show that, which shows that the Wallaby population we harvest is actually consistently increasing, even in the face of the, 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 those crop protection coals and our harvest. You may convert me yet. <laughs> there, there is hope for you, Terry, as Katrina said when she was a vegetarian when I first met her. <laughs> <laughs> and I look forward to seeing what you do next. And thank you for joining the podcast today. Cheers, Terry. Thanks, Terry. This interview is based on an article in issue 152 of Outback Magazine by Andrew Bain. Thank you for listening. I'll be back with another episode of the Outback Podcast soon. Now's the time to upgrade to a new Ram truck. With unrivaled Hemi V8 power and a max brake towing capacity of up to four and a half tonnes. With quick delivery available right now, you can get behind the wheel of a new Ram faster than ever. Stocks are limited, so see your Ram dealer or visit ramtrucks.com.au today. Ram eats everything else for breakfast. Stock and delivery times vary by model and dealer. 